the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. Well, the honeymoon stage is over and we're back to reality. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadiumscene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. Raptors Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks has begun. Game one ended in not so great fashion. But here we go. We are down 1-0 to the Bucks. But I don't know why everyone's upset. It's just one game. Joining me to talk about this whole process is Leo Corzai of Death Pen Hoops and Raptors Rapture. Dude, are you freaking out or are you all good right now? As the great Paul Pierce once said, the series is over. <laughs> oh man look it's one game like I understand it's the Eastern Conference Finals but I don't know I I tweeted this out I feel like the Raptors and Raptors fans like we're playing with house money after that that (laughs) shot by Kawhi like I just I feel already fulfilled and this isn't to say that I wouldn't want to go further of course I would but I mean it's not that big of it i'm not bummed are you bummed um i'm not bummed the way i would have been if they lost to the sixers mostly because i think a lot of raptors fans had high expectations and this was kind of the thing is i'm really high on the bucks and i mean some i think some experts are like chris herring of espn kind of said like he thinks they're gonna win the championship this year like he thinks they might even beat (laughs) and I don't think that's crazy at all. I've been kind of high on them just because just from watching them in the regular season. And then obviously in this playoff run, they didn't have the strongest competition, but they left no doubt. Right. So I'm pretty like if the Raptors lose the series, I picked and um, we're going to get into it, but I picked the Bucks in seven and I don't think it would be crazy to see the Bucks win in six. It would obviously be disappointing, but I don't think it would be a shame on the Raptors at the same time. Obviously we want them to win and, um, and they're like, it would be disappointing to see them lose, but it's not, especially after one game when it was only one loss, like it's not the worst thing in the world and the way they lost kind of hurt. Um, but it's not like, I mean, like we said, it's one game, the series just started. So let's not overreact. Let's not treat it like a funeral. Like after game three versus Philly was a blow. Then after game five versus Philly, it was a blow in the favor of the Raptors. And then everyone was just freaking out. Like as if the series is over one way or the other. And as we saw, like momentum doesn't always carry over. Do you think that's a defense mechanism or some sort of uh, knee jerk reaction, like indicative of Raptors fans? Because it seems like other teams, like when the Bucks dropped Game One against the Celtics, I don't, I didn't see any Bucks fans thinking the series is over, we're doomed, right? So is this? Do you think like an exclusive Raptors thing? I don't know. Yeah. I think Bucks fans kind of have a similar insecurity, right? Because they haven't won a series since. Until this year, they hadn't won a series since 2001. Right. Um, But I do think you're right. Like, they're more confident in their team, weirdly. But, I mean, I saw Sixers fans kind of melt down after every game, and there were, like, overreaction podcasts and all that. And, yeah, I mean, everyone kind of does it to some extent. I think the thing is, this game, it felt like there were just a couple similarities to the – 
um, last year's Cleveland game that left like a little bad taste in your mouth in the sense that like they kind of outplayed them for most of the game, or at least it felt like it in the moment that the Raptors outplayed the Bucks, and then they still lost. And it was kind of this loss where you blow it in the final minutes. But I mean, once you really dig into it, it they didn't play that great and they made some very fixable mistakes and they were obviously on the road and on the road, you're not supposed to win the game, right? You're supposed to just get that split one, one, you're not supposed to win both games on the road. Certainly. Right. But it's very important for the Raptors. I think in this series in particular for them to capture game one, because they were riding the momentum from game seven against the Sixers. And they really, really had that game in their hands for the, at least for the first three quarters. Um, I didn't. I didn't walk away from this game uh, thinking anything negative of Nick Nurse, and that's something that I, you know when the Raptors lose in the playoffs, I'm so quick to be like, "What did Nick Nurse fuck up with his rotations now?" And like, <laughs> yes, I know Norman Powell, Fred VanVleet, and Serge should not be on the floor at the same time, but I do think that for the most part, other than that, he called timeouts correctly. He did mm-hmm. otherwise. Uh, operate his rotations fairly correctly. Um, He rode the hot hand with Kyle Lowry. Um, Kawhi certainly had an off night for Kawhi Leonard standards. Um, I I don't, I I wouldn't pin this loss on nurse. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I wouldn't pin it on nurse. I mean, the number one reason the Raptors have lost games this entire playoff run has been missing wide open shots. And obviously you look at the three point numbers and they were, um, as a team, they were 15 for, what was it, 15 for 42, which is 36%. Yeah. But if you take about Kyle Lowry's numbers, they were 8 for 33, which is not a good percentage. It's actually just terrible. So missing open shots is always the primary thing. And we've talked about it before and that, like, there's no, like, it's just too easy a thing. Like, in, a, in such a close game, like, you can't just blame missing open shots because the Bucks missed them too. And we want to look at the minor things. So I think there are things Nurse could have done better. Um, I do think like those 10 minutes where Van Vliet Powell yeah. and Ibaka played together, they were they were only minus six, but the team shot five of 19 from the field, the net rating. So per 100 possessions, if you extend that over 100 possessions, it was minus 31.6, which is just a nightmare. And that lineup <laughs> kind of struggled. It's just like unbelievably bad and my lineup struggled all year but at the same time people are i mean i don't know if you saw twitter today but people are suddenly like play jeremy lynn over fred van vliet no, and this no is just nonsense like like van vliet has not been good in the playoffs but he's at least he's been a good he's done a good job defensively and even though he's short he can kind of hang with george hill i think and Bledsoe, who was just awful all game long, I think Vevley can at least hang with those guys, and he's playable in this series. I just think you can't, um, you have to utilize him properly, right? It's unfortunate because the Raptors' depth just can't match up with the Bucks, And I, I don't know that this is by design by Nick Nurse more than it is a, he's kind of cornered by having to have situations in which the three bench players being, as we mentioned, Serge, Van Fleet, and Powell have to be on the floor at the same time, maybe just by happenstance. Yeah. Um, 
I do agree that this is a series in which the Raptors sorely need OG and Anobi, especially on the defensive end. Oh yeah. But if you if you look at the the bench pieces, those three individuals as individual players, just in a vacuum, I didn't really have a a problem with their individual performances. Like Norman Powell to me is someone that in the right situations can provide some some nice oomph for the team. Um you know, he he shot yeah. pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Van Vliet on the defensive end, I think, has been pretty scrappy. And like, if he's playing off ball, I, I can exactly. get down with that a lot more. Uh, and Ibaka, he's been trending upwards ever since Game 7. Um, he didn't hit any three-pointers yesterday, which is fine. Like I'd like to see the boards trickle up, but still four rebounds off the bench is okay. Like, not in 17 minutes, <laughs> but like it's okay. Yeah, it's like you want to see him box out or yeah and and just generally like hustle a little bit but they're probably i mean obviously the starters have this problem even more but just the fatigue from playing so many minutes every game in that series and ibaka wasn't as high as the starters but still he's playing he was playing around 30 minutes the last three games of the last series and then i just think that was really that really weighed on them in this game and and like you could tell, especially for Ibaka, Danny Green, and definitely Marcus Gasol, I think was the biggest uh, like victim of that of playing so many minutes. And the Bucks, you can see how fresh they are after having a week off. Would you agree? I, I do. I, I think that it it was going to go one of two ways. It was going to be a coin flip. Whether or not the Raptors would have the momentum, as I mentioned, from Game 7, mm-hmm. and they have a short break in between, they're still geared up and ready to go and jump on the throats of the Bucks. and the Bucks at that point might have not been prepared. Yeah. My argument walking into this, I don't know if you listened to any of the previous episodes, but my argument oh, yeah. walking... Yeah, I, I was thinking that the Bucks haven't really faced any legitimate competition. Mm-hmm. Um, on paper, the Celtics should have been legitimate competition, but with the chemistry issues on the team, it, it ended up not being so, right? So Here's now my counter, though. Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah. Um, just, I don't, I agree. I totally agree. Like, we can see, like, well, obviously the Celtics' problems were talked about all year, and they just weren't that good, but... A lot of people were making the case after the Celtics were had just swept the Pacers and the Celtics were rolling, right? They won by 20-22, I think, in game one in Milwaukee. And it's like, why shouldn't the Celtics have continued it? And I think it kind of speaks to how good the Bucs are, that they kind of quieted all that. They adjusted. They were switching screens a little more. And they just completely blew the doors off that series. And the games weren't even within 10 points. So... I mean, like, they didn't face a lot of adversity, but they kind of, like, they could have, if they were a bit mentally weaker or if they weren't as good as they are, I think they could have had some problems in that Celtics series, at least to go seven or something like that, versus what they did, which was just, like, utter annihilation after game one, right? No, for sure. For sure. And I think that, you know, having the ability to make the adjustments um, prove that Milwaukee is a dangerous team. And, you know, we were able to see them do it on the fly in a game. And that's something that I haven't really seen the Raptors do, say, for game seven against the 76ers. Right. The adjustments are always the next game. 
when it comes to them. They they look at the film and then, okay, we need to work on this or we need to tweak this. Or Nurse will be like, okay, I guess I have to match Gasol with Embiid for every legitimate second of the game in order to win. Like yeah. the, the adjustments are late, whereas the, the Bucks can sort of do it on the fly. Or at least they showed that they could do that yesterday. Um, so I don't know. Do you want to begin with like the things that pissed me off and, and on a high note? Or do you want to start on a high note? Um, how about what were your expectations coming into this game? Like I tweeted kind of just to get people's spirits up, um, going into game one. Cause I thought it might be, I didn't think it would be like a blow up for the Bucks, but I thought the Raptors might get beaten by like 10, 15, because just coming off of such a long grueling series and an emotional moment. And then the Bucks have had all this rest. Yeah. Sometimes you can get a little distracted or rusty after all that time, but like, I just thought the Raptors were exhausted and it was going to be a tough game. So I tweeted like the last time the Raptors played a conference finals game one was 2016 and they just got right. rolled by 31 points. It was an utter disaster, like completely humiliating. So it's not going to be worse than them. So what were your expectations? Were you thinking, did you think they were going to win? Like you said, you talked about um, like the momentum or did you think like it would be close and like they might be able to, just kind of ride that high. Like I said, I I was kind of under the the feeling that we're playing with house money. Like I I was mm-hmm. so unusually calm walking into yeah. this game, <laughs> and I was just like, it it came to the I, I I hate putting it this way, but if we lost game one, which we did, I'm not freaking out. Whereas if we lost game one against Philly, I'd be like, oh. Fuck! Here we go. Like we're something's <laughs> wrong because I feel like when when you look at Philly, I'm just like this team can beat the Sixers. We can do it. When you look at the Bucks and you said, "Hey, they're gonna lose by eight points and they're gonna have a monumental comeback in the fourth, that being Milwaukee," I'd be like, "Yeah, it makes sense. I can totally see that." <laughs> you know, like I so yeah. going up against Milwaukee, if we lose, I'm not by any means happy that we lost, but at the same time, I'm just like the better team won this game. Like, it, I, I don't know how else to yeah. explain it, so I'm just sort of like, my expectations walking in is, if we win this game, that's great, we got home court, that's that's really good for the momentum, and it proves that the intangibles are a thing, but if we lost, I'm just like, I think we can take game two, and I'm not really freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you seen that movie, um, 500 Days of Summer? Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know that scene, so there's that scene where um, basically the main character, uh, his ex-girlfriend, invites him to this party, party yeah. and then uh, and then they show like the separate, like the split screen of expectations versus reality, Right. and it's like, it's like the most memorable scene for me from the movie, and basically, <laughs> and basically it shows how he had all these high expectations, and he's, he was excited, and he thought like, oh, maybe they'll get back together, and then... Like not to spoil it, but basically it doesn't go as right, planned. Right. Um, and basically walking into this game, I feel like it's as a fan or as a media member, like it's entirely depending on how you viewed it or what lens you look through it. That's kind of how you um, how you view this game in retrospect, right? Like like once the Raptors got kind of a lead and they were and they kind of looked good then you build up your expectations again but i think going into this game like you said if you if if the raptors outplayed the bucks for most of the game and ended up losing by a few points then i think most people would probably have taken it this is the overtime podcast network 
Yeah, of course, of course. And you know, like I don't know how much of this is influenced by my like overwhelming confidence now that Kawhi is going to stay. And I think that like that that has always been the factor. Like we need to make it to X, X being yeah. Eastern Conference Finals for him to stay. And now I'm just like, okay, I, I think he's gonna stay, win or lose. Like obviously I want to win, but like I, I I don't know. Do you get that feeling that it's it's more important in a way for Kawhi to stay than to win a championship? I hate saying that, but I feel like that's been the driving force all year. Like the, everyone's priority is stay. I mean, if I have to choose between like five more years of Kawhi or like the rest of Kawhi's career or a championship right now, I think I'd take the championship because like yeah. you don't know if yeah. you're going to get that championship, but you don't even know if you're going to get the championship regardless. You know what I mean? Like even if you make the finals, you're playing a better team in the Warriors and then it's a whole other deal, right? So it's not like it's not an either or thing, but it's like, yeah, of course, that the fact that Kawhi that we feel a little more confident or a lot more confident in Kawhi staying, especially getting to the conference finals is a big thing. At the same time, you don't want to suddenly get swept and then no, like, no, 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 yeah. again. but I don't think that's the takeaway from this game to begin with. Right. Like we said. So. um, So, yeah, like I'm not like freaking out after this game and i think it's kind of good that they started on the road because if you started at home and then the team's kind of tired and the team's basically exhausted going into this game and they're gonna have a hard time especially later in the game then losing that game would have been a lot bigger of a deal yeah for sure for sure um I, I do want to highlight that, you know, say it for Kawhi Leonard, obviously, I said mentioned in the jump of the show that, you know, 31 points for him, it's it's a low-scoring game for Kawhi in terms of what we've seen out of him throughout the playoffs. And, and even the thing's not on the stat sheet, he just sort of seemed a little yeah. off rhythm yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he shot 38%. Like, he wasn't, like, he was just an efficiency like machine in those, especially the first few games of the Philly series versus now. Yeah, yeah. And, um... You know, Pascal Siakam didn't really have that much of an impact, I felt. I, I was expecting a little bit more out of him, but I can't complain with his defense against Giannis. Oh, um, yeah. I think that's a tough task in and of itself, so I'm able to sort of look the other way when it comes to offense and focus on the defense. I think he did a, a very good job at that front. Yeah, I totally agree. And, I mean, we're looking at Kawhi and, like, Siakam and everything, and they didn't shoot well, but... Um, remember that stat that uh, Josh Lewinberg posted in the Sixers series before Game 7? Lowry, Siakam, and Kawhi in the wins were combining for 70 points and losses 66. So kind of a close, not that big a difference versus Green, Gasol, and Ibaka in wins were 33 points a game versus 19. So 14-point difference versus a four-point. And Green, Ibaka, and Gasol had 16 points combined tonight. So that's just not going to cut it. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Um, we, we lightly touched on Kyle Lowry, so I kind of want to unpack it a little bit more. Uh, seven for nine from three. I love it. I, and I hope this continues, but I am of the mind that I've seen this before from Kyle Lowry, and I 
kind of know what to expect game two. I'm by no <laughs> means expecting him to shoot 78% from three yeah. in game two. But I'm sort of encouraged that maybe he has found some rhythm. Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe jamming his finger did something good for him. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I do hope that this continues. Um, I, I'm not counting on a 30-point performance again, but I do feel that now that he has this sort of this fire lit underneath his ass, maybe this will propel him forward. Um, but on the same token, like we're talking about seven for nine from three isn't sustainable. On the other side, I know people made a big deal of Brook Lopez, and he was good. I just don't know if that shooting performance by him is sustainable either. Yeah, I agree on both. Like what? I mean, Lopez shot like four of 11 on threes and he kind of be more. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just looking at it right now. Um, four of 11 on threes and 12 of 21 from the field. No, I mean like it felt like more. Oh, it felt, yeah, it did. Right. Because he hit those two, like just huge ones. Well, I think it was while Kawhi was on the bench. It was a seven Mm -hmm. point lead and then he flew back to back and it's, it's a one point game. And I kind of said before that, that little stretch, like, you can't get killed when Kawhi's on the bench. You can't just let, you can't collapse. You have to just sustain it here. These three minutes, we always know Kawhi goes to the bench and they just got killed. They collapsed exactly the way we hope they win. So I think, yeah, Lopez, I mean, he shot like his regular percentage, 36%. I think he might be a bit below that, but he's, yeah. I mean, just the way he was bombing away and like definitely the 29 total points, like, I don't think that will happen again. Um, I still think he can be effective, but the Raptors kind of just have to sell out on his threes and just make him put the ball on the floor. Like, obviously, that's not Gasol's strength to close out like that, but if you can kind of give Ibaka some more minutes, particularly since Gasol is obviously so tired, just didn't look like like himself at all in the fourth, um, if you can give Ibaka some more of those center minutes, I think he can close out a little better. He's a little more agile, right? And I also think, yeah, Lowry, on the other hand, I don't think he's going to score like that. But we've seen from Lowry before, you guys talked about on the last pod, he had 10 points last game and he was still extremely impactful. So I just think he needs to shoot decent. I think he needs to hit a couple threes here and there. If he can give 15 points, they can still win if some of the other guys contribute versus um, obviously he's not going to put up 30 points. He's not going to shoot 78% on threes every game. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So having said that, like we're talking about the importance of three-point shooting, you know, on both ends, the the Bucks total didn't really have that great of a three-point performance, right? They shot 25%. Yeah. Uh, as a team, which, you know, is very unbucks like And I think the Raptors had a really good opportunity to seal this. Um, but a lot of missed shots from Danny Green. And I remember when we were talking to preview the second round of the C- uh, playoffs against the Sixers, he was someone that I was concerned with, very concerned with, because I don't know. I'm still not sure if there's an issue. Like, I don't know if he's hurt. I know today uh, either Blake Murphy or Lewinberg tweeted out, I think it was Blake, that he was getting... Um, he was icing or something, his knee or his thigh or something. Um, Again, that could just be wear and tear. That could just be Mm -hmm. the physicality, especially coming out of a Philly series. But he just doesn't seem right. And there's an argument out there to be made that the Raptors aren't doing a better, a good enough job rather of getting them into rhythm early. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would just like to see that. I would like to see the Raptors sort of establish uh, some plays specifically for him 
early in offensive possessions just to get them in rhythm. And if that doesn't work, I'm really concerned that there's something more wrong with Danny Green. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think they just, he didn't even get that many attempts up, which has been kind of the case in a few games now where he's only one for one of five, one of four threes. So basically, barely even getting attempts, like especially in 35 minutes. And when he's not doing that, like he still spaces the floor just by being there, but he doesn't, like, you've got to get something from him. And and I, I think it kind of speaks to the Raptors' lack of ball movement and especially player movement, right, when you're off the ball. And whether it's running set plays or just getting some kind of some natural movement off the ball, like cuts, screens, and whatever it's going to be, they've got to have something when Lowry or Kawhi or Siakam has the ball in their hands trying to create a play. They've got to have something away from the action, right, to kind of create open shots or else you're just getting these stagnant offensive possessions and yeah, you just go up and down the roster and pretty much Lowry and Powell were the only ones to hit any threes or to shoot well from three. And it's just kind of a, the bucks do give up threes, but they, they give up, I think the most three point attempts are close to the top in the league and you've got to kind of take advantage of that. And and I mean, yeah, and you've got to hit the shots, but you've also got to get the attempts off. And Danny Green only taking four is not a great sign. So I, I guess the, I don't know. I just feel that like the Raptors have been shooting so poorly from three, save for in some instances Gasol and Kawhi for the most part in the mm-hmm. playoffs. Um, I just don't know if that's the recipe for them to win at this point because in two rounds they haven't proven it. Yeah, I think you're right actually like, you can't rely on that suddenly getting going. Like you can't rely on them suddenly shooting 38 or 40% from three because yeah, they did it after the trade deadline, but if they haven't done it in the playoffs until now, like regression doesn't happen in like five games, right? right? That's like over a full, like long sample and the playoffs aren't that. So you can't rely on that, but kind of on the bright side, if you want to look at it, like, they only lost in a close game and they shot 34 of 92 overall, 37%. So they didn't get really anything besides that three point shooting. Like they were not good at all um, inside the arc and in terms of finishing at the rim. So um, is there anything you see there where maybe to get Siakam going or gets Kawhi some easier looks? Like um, what do you see besides the threes? Yesterday when we, you know, the game first started, I was talking to my wife and I said, the Bucks are making a concerted effort not to make anything happen on the inside. They mm-hmm. were determined not to make them, not to allow the Raptors to beat them on the inside because I think that's how they largely did it against Philly, especially in, in game seven. Um, they, they were crowding the paint and th- this is a long, long team. And I do think that the recipe in a, in normal circumstances to beat uh, the Bucks is to outshoot them from the outside. But as we've already said, the Raptors don't really have the arsenal to do that. So they're going to have to find a way, I feel like, to space the floor a little bit more or to rely on the ball movement. The ball movement has been very successful for them when they want to get an open shot. Um, and if they don't fall, they don't fall, but you still got to take it. And I think that that's where the Raptors thrive. If it's not in these like fast break transition sequences, it's when they move the ball a bunch. And I think that if, they're, if their outside shots aren't fall, falling reliable, they got to space out the floor and they got to move the ball quickly. And when they do that, I feel like they're more successful than not. Yeah, I agree. And 
that yeah that's kind of what the bucks um scheme is right they lopez kind of drops back on the pick and roll so that pretty much encourages people to shoot threes and Giannis is like a rim protector too and they just they want the other team to jack threes especially the shooters that they don't respect as much and i mean i think the Raptors did a good job of not hesitating like the baka got a couple attempts up um which like it's kind of hit or miss but powell looked really confident in those 10 minutes like we said yeah. he was he took four three-point attempts and he made a couple of them um and gasol took seven he didn't shoot it well but he at least takes them and we kind of we've talked about it before where he just needs to take them at least because if they're wide open like you're not going to get a better shot late in the clock siakam took nine threes and um i don't know if you still want that but at least if he's wide open um he's got to hit those corner ones at least because that's kind of where he thrives yeah so like they missed they missed quite a few good looks and we've said it a million times like how many times are they gonna miss good looks but if they can get something going on the inside too or at least like in the mid-range where if you kind of run a pick and roll at lopez and he's hanging in the paint maybe Kawhi can get those mid-range shots off I think they've got to try something besides just firing away if if it doesn't work. Um, But kind of for me, it goes back to being so fatigued and having so so few bench minutes. Like the the starters just couldn't execute down the stretch where they started the game really strongly, just hitting everything, like 34 points in the first, and then they ended up with half of that, 17 in the fourth. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like as we've been mentioning, this team is long. They had eleven blocks yesterday, right? And and six of their six out of the the nine players that played had at least one block. That's pretty insane, wow. you know. <laughs> like and and the players that you would assume would didn't have any blocks, like Middleton, Bledsoe, and uh, Brogdon. Yeah, fine, but they're not like long players. Those are like standard guards, like the stereotypical guard build that you know that you're familiar with in the NBA. Um, this team is long, man, and I I don't know that the Raptors are going to be able to beat them on a on their standard pick and roll offensive setups. I just don't know that that's going to be a recipe for success. Um, but you know, speaking of the depth and the length that the Bucks have, like I mentioned, we're running an, an eight-man rotation right now. And I know you mentioned mm-hmm. McCaw earlier on Twitter, like instead of Van Vliet, if it's not working out. Um, how do you feel about Nurse expanding the bench a little bit? Like I know Jody Meeks is sort of a liability. I don't even want to see any Lynn <laughs> or Moreland, but like. I don't know, maybe to match the length for like two, three minutes, put in a boucher just for like the shooting ability from the outside, maybe. Um, I don't love the idea because they've just never like they haven't played these guys the whole playoffs. Right. I do like if if I said McCaw is kind of a desperation guy, like I think you've got to kind of stick with Van Vliet at least because, you know, he's not a defensive liability and if you can use him as a shooter, then I think it could work. Um, I think if there's one guy besides the guys we mentioned, I like Malcolm Miller better than Boucher or better than those under the bench guys because he's basically a three and D guy. Yeah. He's I think six nine, pretty long, can kind of match up with those like shooting power forwards. So Ilyasova, Meritich, like he can close out on those good shooting power forwards while still being long enough to contest their shots. And then he's a shooter on the other end. So you kind of get, I don't think he's a great option, but 
James Ennis just torched the Raptors for a <laughs> seven-game series. And I think there's, like Blake Murphy mentioned this in one of his columns, like, are we sure James Ennis is actually better than Malcolm Miller? I'm not 100% sure. I think, like, Miller started games last year on a 59-win team. Like, he's not a scrub. He's just on a team that's one of the best in the NBA, and you don't always get opportunities there. Right. And he had an injury to begin the season and all that. But I think if you are going to, like, really look for someone to just fill some of those minutes and like at least give the starters a breather. I think he can kind of play the four, which is where they're lacking the most, especially with OG and Anobio. And, um, and I think you can also give some more minutes to Norman Powell. They kind of went away from him and he only played 10 minutes. And I don't know. I think I thought he was decent in the first half. I mean, he was pretty good in the first half and like he can at least in theory be kind of one of those three D wings also. Yeah, he's fearless. There's there's a level of confidence that Norman Powell has, specifically against the Bucks. Now I don't know if it's like a revenge factor because of the whole drafting yeah. thing, but I do think that he's a reliable asset for the team. And I, out of anybody, I would like to see his minutes creep up a bit because I do think right now he's sort of establishing some rhythm on the outside. And if the Raptors want to get it going from three, you could do a lot worse than Norman Powell. But I'd rather see Norman Powell launch threes right now than Fred VanVleet. Yeah, I agree. Like VanVleet, I don't know what it is, but he just he's really just been terrible on these playoffs. Yeah, and like I'll defend him over Jeremy Lin. Or even McCaw, like McCaw, maybe, but I just think Van Vliet offensively has really struggled. And I think you can give some of those minutes to Powell and kind of do that point guard by committee thing where you just, it doesn't matter who brings up the ball and you kind of get into your sets and you want like Kawhi Leonard or Siakam getting the ball anyway, right? right. To run most of the offense. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So when we uh, were covering the Sixers series, we were saying like, you know, the, the key thing that we, you know, noticed was that Casal and Embiid need to be on the floor at the same time if you're Nick Nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you can't have that, you know, three threesome of Ibaka, Van Vliet, and Powell on the floor at the same time. Um, do you think Nurse will make that that? ladder adjustment and not have the three of them on the floor because from what I read on Twitter today in interviews and press conferences or whatnot, he was pretty uh, defensive of that uh, rotation, having the three of them on the floor at the same time. Do you think he's going to remain stubborn in this aspect or do you think he might be, you know, keeping things close to the vest and making sure that, all right, maybe I do need to mix things up. Maybe I do need to expand the bench a little bit and we'll see at least fewer minutes with the three of them on the floor at the same time. Um, I'm not totally sure. I mean, it's easy to shit on Nick Nurse when like you're not the ones having to make those decisions because right, like yeah. it's not an easy decision when your entire bench has been struggling the entire playoffs, save for a few good Ibaka games. Like he doesn't have that many options. Um, I'd like to see him mix it up a bit and definitely like we said already, the just to not play them all together, but he doesn't have a ton of options. I think he'll probably, maybe, I don't want to like say, I think, because I don't really know what Nick Nurse is thinking, but I think if he is going to go with someone, it would probably be McCaw because, um, just because he's already played him a bit in the playoffs. Right. And I wouldn't mind seeing that. It's a bit dicey. Like definitely you don't want too many of the bench players together, but I do think he, 
it would be better if he tries something else. And I don't think he's going to just stubbornly stick to those exact same rotations because he obviously saw in the Sixers series what worked and what didn't, and he adjusted. And I think he'll do kind of a similar thing, but hopefully he can at least find something off the bench, just some kind of spark, maybe something like where Powell had those two threes. Maybe he gets something else going. Um, Maybe just expanding Ibaka's minutes help a little bit. Um, But just to get something to give the starters a breather and to kind of like just to get, just to not force them to do everything and yeah, be so yeah. fatigued at the end of games, right? So, um, what do you think? Do you think he'll do that adjustment, or do you think he'll try something new? I hope that he tries something new because, as I mentioned, there's not this necessity to have Gasol on, say, a Brook Lopez the entire time. I think you're right. I think Serge mm-hmm. Ibaka has the ability to close out on him, and perhaps even better. I do think Serge is a little bit more versatile than Gasol, but. Having said that, I don't know that he's like the best of a bad bunch in order to contain Brook Lopez, right? Like, I, I don't know yeah. that he'd be able to do it as well as, I don't know. Well, I guess he would definitely be able to do it better than JV. I guess he's the best the best guy you have, you know, or no yeah. longer have. Um, I, I just hope that he does mix it up. I hope that we see a little bit more of the starters ingratiated into the uh, the other rotations. Like maybe instead of having uh, you know three starters out, you can just pull a Gasol and a Green out and put in a uh, in a Baca yeah. and a Powell. Like for that, that's fine. If you're going to run your starters, which I think you are, he is doing. I mean, the majority mm-hmm. of them played almost 40 minutes or more, save for Danny Green, yeah. who played 35. So if you're going to run them, run them. And just like lightly touch up, touch them up with the bench when needed. But I, I do think game two is a must win game at this point, even though I'm still not seriously stressing it. It is sort of a must win game if you want to have any semblance of home court advantage. So, having said that, I know you said Bucks and seven, and I don't hate on you for that. It's very like logical. Kind of like the Sixers series, my heart is saying uh, Raptors in seven, but my head, especially after watching yesterday, <laughs> is kind of saying Bucks in seven. But I got to go with my heart here. Um, game two, what are your predictions for that? Do you think the Raptors come back swinging? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. <laughs> it's. Um, I mean, if they're taking this in seven, either way. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think once it, I almost picked Bucks in seven because I have too much like I'm too high on the Raptors to not give them the benefit of the doubt, but I almost think if it does go seven, that it would be that the Raptors might have that just because I feel a little better with a Kawhi Leonard, yeah. especially down the stretch of games. And that's when you can kind of go all out with your minutes. So, I mean, as much as I picked the bucks in seven, it could turn out to be six. Like it could go either way. So, but I did see, I just think the Raptors are too good to kind of roll over and I don't think they will. And I kind of saw going into the series, them splitting one, one in Milwaukee and then splitting another two games in Toronto and coming back to Milwaukee tied two two going into game five. And I think I'm going to stick with that. I think the Raptors will take game two and it'll come back one, one. And I just think as much as we talked about like the Raptors, it feeling like they played well, um, at least for the first half. And they did play well, definitely in the first quarter. Um, they weren't great or anything by any means besides Kyle Lowry. And even like you said, Kawhi Leonard shot poorly despite his points. 
and Pascal Siakam shot really poorly, six of 20. And pretty much they had a one-man show in Lowry. And if they can get some support from the bench or just from the other starters in Gasol and Green, I think they should have a better game. And I think they can compete with this Bucks team. Um, yeah, but by no means does that mean like it's a guarantee. I think it will be close. And if Milwaukee gets hot from three, it's going to be tough. Um, what do you think? I think that, you know, I like to look at it on the flip side, and that's not to say anything you were saying was wrong. It was dead on. But I like to think that, you know, they kept it close with a strong performance from only Lowry. That mm-hmm. it was it's it's still only an eight point game. Like I, I say yeah, only exactly. as it you know, it's it's only a couple of possessions and they hit some of their wide open threes. We're talking a completely different outcome, I feel. Um yeah. I do think the Raptors take one. I don't think they're gonna get swept, right? I don't think either team I, I didn't walk into this you know, series thinking either team is going to sweep the other. Um, if the if the Celtics can take one game against the Bucks, the fucking Raptors can take one game oh. against the Bucks. Oh wait, so are you saying Bucks win game two, and then you think Raptors <laughs> only win one? No, 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 no. <laughs> I think that the Raptors at, at least win one. Um, I, put it this way: gun to my head, if someone's like, "Yo, Bucks in five. That's happening. Like I have a crystal ball, bucks and five. Do you believe this? I'd be like, yeah, that totally makes sense to me. I can totally see a scenario yeah. in which the bucks take this in five. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen, but it's pers- it's conceivable. Oh right? yeah, bucks think, and six. Yeah, I think the way one of these either writers or someone was phrasing it was like their most likely outcome was bucks and seven, and then their second most was bucks and five or Raptors in six, like it was yeah. either this, this or this, because it's like, it could play out that the Bucks win two close home games. And then all they need is one in Toronto to kind of seal that series. Because once they get up three, one, they're going back to Milwaukee. Yeah. But on the flip side, if the Raptors can win one in Milwaukee, then they come home with, with kind of some more confidence and they've got two home games. Right. So I kind of feel like these teams are close enough and the Raptors have enough room for improvement, but so do the Bucks. But the Raptors have enough room for improvement to um to kind of at least get, if not that game, then come home and have those two games at home where I think they'll tie it up in one way or the other. Yeah. Raptors aren't taking this in five. Raptors are taking this if they're gonna take it at all, it's either gonna be six or seven. There's no way they're taking this yeah, in five. Sure. Um it, it, but I do think this is going to go the distance. I like I said, my heart is saying seven Raptors. My head is saying Bucks seven. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my heart, man, because you know I fucking love this team. Not to say that you don't. Um, I, I just you know, I I just love this team, man. And it's been a great year. I don't want it to end. But you know, if it ends in seven against the Bucks, I'm not nearly as upset as I was last year. Oh yeah, no question. And I'd almost say like. Yeah, I just I respect this Bucks team a lot more than I respected the Cavs. I think the Cavs were I mean, they were a terrible team besides LeBron yeah. James. Like they almost lost in the first round to the Indiana Pacers. And not to say that the Pacers weren't a really tough team, but it was just LeBron averaged 34, 9 and 9. Like that was an all-time performance. And it was a bunch of role players who weren't very good defenders. And this Bucks team is not like that. Like this Bucks team has, I who I think is going to be the MVP in Giannis, mm-hmm. and then they also have a really good defense, really good shooters, um, one of the deepest rotations of any playoff team. So 
Like, I, it's not that I don't want, like, obviously I want the Raptors to win. I just think, like, that's probably my closest guess to what's going to happen in that the Bucks would win. But like I said, like, it can go either way. You never know what's going to happen once it gets to game seven. And I think, like you said, it's probably going to go there. As you mentioned, the jump of the show, man, expectations versus reality. It's a real thing. <laughs> um, but what I do notice is that the Milwaukee crowd is loud and we need Toronto to match that. Did you see my tweet about the dude knocking on my fucking door? Oh, yeah. What was that about? <laughs> dude, all right. So um, before games, I had a Raptors flag. I've always had that yeah. flag. Yeah, but, yeah, I saw um, yeah the, the pole fell off, so I had to, like, re-screw it in. I was like, well, I might as well wait till game seven, you know, to, to for good luck. And I guess maybe it worked. But, you know, <laughs> I, I put it in for game seven outside my house, and, you know, they won. Yesterday... This dude knocks on my door. I go up to the door. I'm like, I'm not interested in buying anything. He's like, no, 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 no. Bucks, go Bucks. And he just like left. And I'm just, I'm standing at my door like, what the fuck? Okay. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> what do you say to that? And I'm in Rhode Island, man. There's like, there's no Bucks fans. I guess there's one. And there's one Raptors fan and serendipitous. They have to come together, I guess. I love sports. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Coming to my, but like you got to admire the fucking balls, dude. Coming to like, if I saw a, a Bucks flag, I might have knocked on the guy's door, beeped my horn. But I'm not. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't go on the dude's property. That's just weird. That's really weird. That's great though. I love this. Like, yeah, I love how it's Bucks and Raptors fans. Like the Celtics and Sixers. Like this is the NBA. I call it NBA socialism. Like the, yeah. the Celtics and Sixers have had like. Um, between them, I think 20 championships because the Celtics have 17. Yeah. The Sixers have like two or three. They had a finals appearance. They had like, they had enough, <laughs> they had enough accomplishments, maybe not yeah. in this century, but they had enough accomplishments with their franchises. Like the Bucks and Raptors are both like have a pretty rough history, especially in the two thousands. And like, it's nice that these, like kind of a small market team and then a team in Canada. So no one pays attention to it are meeting up and kind of getting this kind of attention. Yeah, no, it's, it's well-deserved on both ends. Like th these are definitely the top two teams in the Eastern conference. And I would, I would have been upset. Um, maybe I wouldn't have been upset if the Celtics ended up beating the bucks. Cause I think that's an easy path for the Raptors. But you know, in terms of watching good basketball yesterday, was by no means a bad game. Like it was a bad oh, yeah. performance by the Raptors, but I still was like, I don't know. I just, like I said, I feel encouraged a little bit. If they can clean things up, I think we're fine. I think game two, we're fine. I think this is going to go the distance. So come like game five and six, that's what I'm going to stress out. There's no use getting stressed yeah. out game one and two. Fuck it. Let's just. Yeah. And I mean, and like you said, it's possible the Bucks would win in five. It's not like there is a scenario where things just don't go their way. And like, these are close games, right? So it can go anyone's way. Like the Celtics swept that series against the Pacers and all four games were close. Mm. So anything like that can happen. But like you said, I think the Raptors are going to at least, if not take game two, I think they'll still be able to win those two home games. And I do think, um, I do think it's going the distance just because of how evenly matched these two teams are. I do think the Bucks are a slightly better team just based on their whole body of work yeah. and their defense and kind of how cohesive they've been all year. But that doesn't mean they'll win the series. Sometimes, like if you're, if it's such a close event, if it's such a close, like slight advantage, like if you have the best player or 
the player who performs the best or you just get hot shooting when there are two games, like anything can happen. So it's close enough that I could see it going either way. And um, let's not overreact to one loss because we've seen that already so many times in these playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, it's house money, man. That's just the way I look at it. We're playing with house money. And, you know, we get to... Raptors are in the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay, what a time to be alive. Let's just enjoy it. Soak it in, man. It's 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 a great time to be a Raptors fan. I, I have all the confidence in the world, and I feel like most fans do, that Kawhi's going to stay. Even most non-Raptors fans are like, I think he's staying, man. After that, he's staying. Come on, how do you leave? How do you leave after that, you know? So, it's cold-blooded, man. He's not a heel. I'm sure, I'm sure there will be, like, a counter-push, like, if they lose or even if they win, someone someone will come up with, like, a counter-push, like, oh, he's already done all he needs to do here. And it's like... No, like, I'm going to stick to what, like, I've kind of believed for a little while. And I'm not going to, like, we're let's not overreact to one, like, little thing or the other. But that was a pretty big moment in the Game 7. And there are just a lot of good signs right now. No one agrees to eat beef dick and then leaves. That just doesn't happen. That <laughs> just doesn't happen. Um yeah, I can't top that. So with that, let's wrap it up here. Dude, you know the deal. Uh, you said you had an article on Jimmy Butler coming up, but if anything else you have going on where people can find you on Twitter, all the above, man, go for it. Floor is yours. Yeah, so I'm writing for Raptors Rapture of Fansided now, um, and I just had an article come out on Sunday kind of previewing Game 7 like with the keys, um, just the key factors in Game 7, and you can, you can kind of read that retroactively to see... Um, just what worked out and what didn't like mm-hmm. i think i had slowing down jimmy butler he didn't shoot great so um just like i just find like sometimes those are interesting to read after the fact and i'm writing for death pen sports still and i have a column coming out on jimmy butler who really showed out in the raptors sixer series even though the sixers lost and i kind of made the case for him to be resigned and why he deserves a max contract Sounds good. All the links to your work will be in the show notes for this as well as your Twitter so people can follow you. Uh, a lot of Raptors fans, if not most of them, do anyway. So you're you're pretty much top dog. So, um, dude, I appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we get to do this again if the, se- if the series goes the distance. And uh, thanks for coming on, dude. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks for having me. These are always fun. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors.